I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of December 22. In the news, Armenia's National Commission on Television and Radio temporarily suspends broadcast of the Russian Sputnik Armenia news agency. 26 fishermen are arrested after attacking officers in Lake Sevan. And for the first time ever, an Armenian film has been shortlisted for the Oscars. This week, Armenia's National Commission on Television and Radio suspended the radio broadcast of Russian Sputnik Armenia news agency after it aired a program not only criticizing Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan, but also spreading misinformation and creating panic. Uh, Sputnik Armenia's weekly program broadcast on November 17 was anchored by Dikran Kresayan, this is Margarita Simonian's husband, who is the editor-in-chief of the Russia Today, a very pro-Kremlin news agency in, in Russia. It featured derogatory comments about Pashinyan and his government's policies. The commission announced that it has therefore banned the Armenian radio station TOSP from retransmitting any Sputnik Armenia programs for the next 30 days. The commission also fined Sputnik Armenia 500,000 Armenian dirhams. This is just over 1,200 US dollars for the latest talk show uh, by a former opposition parliamentarian, Arman Apovian. Um, and during that show, he accused the Pashinyan government of planning to cede much of Armenia's territory to Azerbaijan. The commission accused the broadcaster of spreading false and unverified information. Well, the Russian embassy in Yerevan criticized the decision, saying that it limits Armenians' rights to receive information from a source of their choice. So, Maria, now the <laughs> the Russian uh, embassy is protecting our uh, well, um, freedom about, of information. But let's look at all the radio stations and TV stations and news outlets that were banned in Russia. But anyway, sorry. Go well, ahead. this step cannot uh, but look like a concession to those who are increasingly in favor of breaking the traditional mutually beneficial and mutually respectful allied relations between Russia and Armenia, the embassy added in a statement. And last week, Armenia's Ministry of High-Tech Industry said senior officials from the Russian Ministry of Digital Development and Mass Communication acknowledged violations of the retransmission agreement. This was signed between the two countries in 2020 during talks held uh, with uh, their representatives and agreement was reached to take steps toward proper compliance with all points of the agreement. So now this Kursan's prob- uh, program uh-huh. that I wanted to find is not available right now. So we mm-hmm. don't know exactly what, what he said, but I did come across one source that was saying that uh, someone like Pashinyan shouldn't be left alive. So, uh, however, don't quote me on this because we were not yeah, able, able to, to find, find the direct it. words. Mm-hmm. And today, Russia's ambassador to Armenia, Sergei Kopirkin, told TASS that almost all military technical contracts between Russia and Armenia have been fulfilled on time and with high quality or are in the final stages of implementation. The ambassador added that Moscow and Yerevan are also discussing the conclusion of new agreements. He did note, however, that there are indeed issues concerning some specific contracts. However, he said that these are working issues being resolved through dialogue between the relevant authorities of Russia and Armenia. And on December 15, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, had announced during a diplomatic summit in Moscow that Armenia-Russia relations were being tested because, quote, the West wants to drive a wedge in the relations between our brotherly peoples. Countering Lavrov's statement, ruling civil contract secretary Artur Hovanesia noted that it wasn't the relationship that was being tested, but rather the agreements that were signed between the two countries that were being tested.
like Koperkin's minor issues concerning some specific contracts, but Russia not supplying any arms to Armenia. That After it Armenia was, had paid uh, for them. Yes. And Armenia being in a military situation it's, uh, itself as a country. And, and uh, what are these, uh, the way they, they phrase things is really comical. Military technical contracts being fulfilled with high quality. I don't know what that means. And in related news, on December 21, Russia's chief of general staff, Valery Gerasimov, said during an end-of-the-year gathering with the foreign military attaches accredited in Russia that Moscow is making efforts to open transport communications in the South Caucasus, conclude a peace agreement between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and eliminate the most acute contradictions between the two countries. And on December 16, the Council of Heads of State of the CIS took place in Moscow. Armenia was represented by Deputy Prime Minister Meher Grigorian instead of uh, the Prime Minister, which is customary. Pashinyan has been refusing to participate in CSTO, EEE, this is the Eurasian Economic Union and CIS events recently. It remains to be seen if he will participate in the annual informal gathering of the Heads of State of CIS countries, which is set to take place in St. Petersburg on December 26th. And during her weekly briefing, Russia's foreign ministry representative Maria Zakharova said that Moscow expects Pashinyan's participation. She went on to say that Moscow is ready to solve all issues with Yerevan in a constructive way. How come you always get to say what Maria Zakharova said? It's always your turn. I always hope for it, Maria. Well, uh, just kind of like going back to Maria Zakharova, previously she had said that uh, there's no planned telephone conversations between Pashinyan and Putin because Pashinyan basically mm-hmm. insinuating if he wants to talk to Putin should co- come to St. Petersburg uh, for that meeting. And also this time did, she did not say that the ball is in Armenia's court. No. I guess Which the, was what I was hoping for. She's never got the memo on that one, yes. And uh, in keeping in vain with the theme, CSTO Secretary General Imangali Tasmagambedov is in Armenia. Yesterday he was received by Foreign Minister uh, Ararat Mirzoyan. They discussed CSTO activities. The Secretary General briefed Mirzoyan about recent CSTO, about the recent CSTO session in Minsk, which included meetings of the Foreign Ministers, Defense Ministers, and Security Advisors. Armenian officials did not participate in any of those sessions. During the meeting, Mirzoyan and uh, uh, Tasman Gambetov exchanged views on the situation in the region. Project aimed at developing transport and economic connectivity, including the Crossroads of Peace initiative. And a side note, CSTO plans to have up to seven drills this year. So Armenia in mm. the coming year. So Armenia has a lot of decisions to make. To be made, also this week, Hikmet Hajiyev, foreign policy advisor to Azerbaijan's president, Ilham Aliyev, told Reuters that the border delimitation issue with Armenia should be kept separate from peace treaty discussions, adding that Azerbaijan is willing and ready to sign a peace agreement with Armenia. Uh, and uh, in response, Maria, mm. uh, Alain Simonian, in an interview in a conversation with journalists, said that, well, uh, Armenia would consider separating the peace agreement from the border demarcation process, as the latter might take a very long time to complete. And we know that these mm-hmm. processes of take course. up to Years. decades. Yeah. Yes. Well, coming back to Hajiev, he also called out uh, U.S. mediation efforts, describing them as lopsided. He told Newsweek that Washington 
needs to adopt, quote, different attitudes before the White House can play a, a mediating role in a thorny and strategically vital peace talks between Azerbaijan and Armenia. The Azerbaijani official also criticized Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs James O'Brien, who had announced in November that the U.S. was not anticipating submitting a waiver on Section 907. Hajiyev said the issue remains a frustration in Baku, describing Section 907 as incomprehensible and one of the most unfair, unjust amendments in the history of the U.S. Congress. Well, as a reminder, Section 907 of the Freedom Support Act bans any kind of direct U.S. aid to the Azerbaijani government. It was passed in response to Azerbaijan's blockade of Armenia during the first Nagorno-Karabakh war. But although Section 907 was passed, they, uh, the presidential administration can waive it, and they've waived it every year. Now this year they're considering not waiving it. And in fact, Section uh, Azerbaijan is the only post-Soviet country that has such a... Um, uh, a ban, uh, quote-unquote, uh, on it through the Freedom Support Act. And meanwhile, Armenia's Deputy Foreign Minister Vahan Kostanyan told BBC that Azerbaijan may state that it is interested in finalizing a peace treaty with Armenia, but the fact is that Azerbaijan is reluctant to finalize the treaty based on principles endorsed by the international community. And also the Armenian side recently handed the sixth draft of the peace agreement to Azerbaijan, while Armenia is adamant that the sides continue to negotiate on the Brussels platform, the Azerbaijani side keeps rejecting mm-hmm. it. And we'll talk about this uh, interview, Pashinyan's interview later mm-hmm. in the uh, in the podcast, Maria. However, he did speak about this when asked where, like, well, Azerbaijan is saying that like, you're kind of really taking your time with each mm-hmm. time there's a new uh, draft. A draft on the table. He says, well, well uh, we had our answers ready. However, Azerbaijan refused to participate in any of the meetings right. that were offered, which were the opportunity to hand over our counter proposals. Mm-hmm. So that was his answer to that question. Well, and why don't we talk about that now then? Um, as you said, Pashinyan gave an end of the year interview to uh, Armenian public television. Most of the interview focused naturally on the Nagorno-Karabakh issue and the events that led to the ethnic cleansing of the Artsakh Armenians. According to Pashinyan, during the entire negotiation process, since the ceasefire ending the first Nagorno-Karabakh war was signed, this is back in 1994, there has been no proposal that would ultimately have solved uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. He said that, but also added that there are only one proposal that could have technically solved the issue, which was a proposal to exchange Meghri mm-hmm. uh, with... Uh, which is on the border of Iran, right. He also went on to say that throughout the last 30 years, Armenia directed the lion's share of its resources to a cause that never entailed a solution, meaning Artsakh. Armenia did not have any foreign policy. It had a Nagorno-Karabakh policy, he said. Armenia did not have any security agenda. It had a Nagorno-Karabakh security agenda, etc. etc. It was an hour plus long mm-hmm. interview but uh, seriously most of it was about uh, our perceptions the uh, how we kind of didn't see what was happening how the negotiations process was never as we right. said never offering a solution it was just offering kind of different processes that led led to the same end right and he also mentioned about the declaration of independence and he said that the whole Gharapakh movement, the, the the notion, the concept of Gharapakh was part of Armenia's sort of road to independence. Um, so there's going to be a lot of interesting processes taking place, I suspect, in the coming year. But um, 
so that we don't uh, engage in conjecture. We'll leave it until we see how those things play out. And uh, speaking of Harapak, today the NKR Info Center reported that Artsakh's President Samvash Ramanian met with representatives of Artsakh's state institutions who continue to operate um, in exile in in, in, in and a on way. public pieces, right. which they made, which means they're not getting salaries or not right. being paid for this right, job. Right. Well, the issues of dis- of the displaced Artsakh Armenians were discussed. Obviously, speaking about the September 26 decree on dissolving Nagorno-Karabakh, Sharamanyan noted that there is no legal document which would entail the dissolution of Artsakh state institutions. Again, as a reminder, after the September 19 attack, 24 hours later, there was a ceasefire. And then he issued a decree, Shahramanya, saying that as of January 1st, 2024, all state institutions would, of Artsakh would be dissolved and the Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh would cease to exist. To exist. Now they're saying, well, that decree does not have the official basis the legal, or the legal basis. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that, I've told you this, but... I was in Goris mm-hmm. when you guys sent this news in the mm-hmm. chat, and I was just like looking at that, you know, center set up to accept all the refugees, all the people from Artsakh, and people were all over the place tra- trying to understand where they're going. And this news came, and I yeah, just like kind of froze for a minute there, and like not being able to ap- apprehend is like. You know, they're still surviving, these people that are trying to survive. They're not sure if they've survived even because they just arrived in Armenia and then this decree happened. And yeah. um, You know, we've had a lot of shocks these past three years and uh, this one was certainly one of them um, to see it on paper, like the way it was written and expressed. And now they're trying to backtrack from that. I don't... Um, it, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is relatively new news there mm-hmm. hopefully will be some explanations and follow-ups on what they meant by say, th- saying this so i guess more of that to uh, come, to and, come yeah, yes. and iran intends to start the construction of rasht astara uh, railway linking azerbaijani iranian and russian railroads it will start this january the railroad is part of the international north south transport corridor. It will create a railway connection from the Persian Gulf in the south of Iran to the Caspian Sea in the north. On December 19, the European Court of Human Rights delivered its verdict regarding the case Narayan and others versus the state of Azerbaijan. The court ruled that Azerbaijan is to pay the applicant 16,000 euros per application. Uh, This is to be paid jointly to the respective applicants. And Azerbaijan is also obligated to pay an additional 2,700 euros for judicial costs and expenses. Okay, and a little bit more about the incident at the basis of this uh, verdict. On December 29 of 2016, a serviceman of the Azerbaijani Armed Forces, Genghis Gurbanov, crossed the border and advanced into an Armenian military post in the Davush region around... 8.30 8.30 a.m., two Armenian servicemen, Narayan and Abovian, left the post to go to the toilet and collect water. Both were unarmed. Shots were fired, after which Narayan and Abovian were found dead. The other soldiers in the in that 
military unit unit immediately ran towards the sound of the shots. There was an exchange of fire and a third Armenian soldier, Shavash Melikian, was also killed. The bodies of the three Armenian soldiers were found on the ground together with the body of Gurbanov, who obviously was shot in that crossfire. And next to Gurbanov's body, an automatic rifle, additional cartridges and spent cartridges were found. And this week, Ambassador Dikram Balayan, head of the mission of Armenia to the EU, presented his credentials to Charles Michel, president of the European Council. Dikram Balayan noted that Armenia is determined to make every possible effort in order to upgrade the partnership with the European Union and its member states to a qualitatively new level. While expressing Armenia's appreciation to Michel for his personal efforts, To help establish peace in the South Caucasus, Uh, Balayan also emphasized that the flagrant violations of the agreements reached within the Brussels format by Azerbaijan and the lack of adequate consequences ultimately led to the complete ethnic cleansing of Nagorno-Karabakh. It is therefore necessary to take steps in order to ensure Azerbaijan's full compliance with the legally binding orders of the International Court of Justice and Baku's return to the negotiating table. When Azerbaijan's compliance with these bound, uh, by legally binding orders were, would have saved lives, mm. uh, Azerbaijan was not uh, you know, mm. uh, carrying them out. It's uh, interesting to see how that will unblock Nagorno-Karabakh or Artsakh with work right now anyway. Also this week, the first Armenian honorary consulate was opened in the Georgian town of Rustavi. Armenia's ambassador to Georgia, Ashot Sambatyan, stressed the importance of the consulate's operation, especially from the point of view of strengthening economic ties between Armenia and Georgia and further activating their inter-societal contacts. This week, the head of the International Crisis Group, Comfort Aero, visited Armenia. She met with Foreign Minister Mirzoyan and Prime Minister Pashinyan during the meetings, regional security, establishing stability and lasting peace in the South Caucasus, and recent developments in the Armenia-Azerbaijan normalization process were discussed. The situation resulting from the ethnic cleansing of Nagorno-Karabakh by Azerbaijan, including issues regarding the needs and rights of the more than 100,000 and forcibly displaced Armenian population of Artsakh were also talked about. And I had a chance to meet with her in an off-the-record briefing. Um, so they were here trying to understand um, sort of what to expect, how things were going to progress with the peace process. And they were interested to know about you know, the snap elections that are taking place in Azerbaijan in early 2024. And she also visited, um, I think she was with the EUMA uh, mission, not with them. She went to the border areas to see for herself what the situation is. Well, it kind of sounds like what to expect when you're expecting, because with the elections in Azerbaijan and elections in Russia right. and uh, this whole of unclear situation, and elections um, in the United States. And so. elections in the United yeah. States. Well, on December 21, Army and French bilateral military political consultations took place in Paris between the Armenian delegation led by Levon Ivazian, head of the ministry's defense policy and international cooperation department. During the consultations on international and regional security, the bilateral cooperation agenda and a number of agreements were reached. And Maria, even if I don't get to read the parts where Zakharova is mentioned, I'll bring them up. <laughs> Okay. Just a, resign, a, a reminder, in the last two weeks, mm-hmm. Zakharva kept saying that, uh, well, front, France is kind of cheating Armenia by selling Armenia weapons that no one else would buy and are faulty. Yeah. <laughs> 
keep reminding us, Roop. On December 18, Armenia's defense ministry uh, held consultations with delegations from Greece and Cyprus. Um, these consultations encompassed a comprehensive review of the outcomes stemming from uh, Defense Minister Suren Babikian's recent visits to those two countries. Discussions focused around bilateral and trilateral cooperation, as well as regional and international security issues. And more importantly, bilateral and trilateral military cooperation programs were signed among the three. Well, and also in a controversial, deeply upsetting and concerning, mm -hmm. worrying case uh, this week, a Russian serviceman who reportedly deserted his army unit in Ukraine was arrested in Armenia by the Russian military police in the beginning of December, then transferred back to Russia. According to the Russian human rights group Elite Lesom, uh, Dmitry Setrakov fled a military hospital in Ukraine's southern Zaporozhye region in April. The group helped him take refuge in Armenia in late November. It said on December 19 uh, that Setrakov is currently in police custody in Russia. Yeah, I mean, when I read the news, I was, I mean, it's just stunning <laughs> that a foreign government would arrest, you know, okay, their citizen, uh, technically, from a third country on their sovereign soil without that country's knowledge. It, it's it's such a sort of slap in the face. And the following day after this was revealed, the Office of Armenia's Prosecutor General said that Russian law enforcement authorities had not asked it to track down, detain and extradite Setragov. It claimed to have no information about his detention in Armenia. Setragov is now facing up to 10 years in prison on desertion charges. He is the first Rus Russian soldier known to have fled to Armenia and arrested here or after refusing to take part in uh, the fighting in Ukraine. <sighs> and, uh, you know, the details are not uh, known. The It was reported that he was arrested in Gumri, where the Russian military base is. So I keep wondering why would someone who's fleeing the Russian army go, go, to, Gyumri. Uh, go to Gyumri, where uh, there's like a well, Russian military base? Well, well, I'm sure we'll find more, we'll we'll get more details or uh, not or not. <laughs> yeah. Other news, opposition figure Avedik Chalabian has been banned from public activity for two and a half years here in Armenia. He is not allowed to participate in rallies or other public events uh, and to change his place of residence without informing relevant law enforcement. Uh, Chalabian was arrested last August on charges that he attempted to bribe the chair of Yerevan's Agrarian University Student Council to rally students to attend an anti pashinyan protest earlier that year in the Armenian capital. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what this means. How, how do you ban somebody from public activity for two and a half years? And like you were, as you were reading, you were making a face of what does public event mean? Like you can't go to a concert? Uh, it, it's just... Um, We made the calls uh, to understand what right. was at the basis of this. So mm -hmm. hopefully by next week, we'll have more information or more clarity as upon mm -hmm. what law, yeah. how, and yeah. by what uh, measure is mm -hmm. this uh, mm -hmm. applied. Mm -hmm. And why two and a half years? Anyway, um, moving on to some um, decisions made by the Armenian government during this week's cabinet meeting, uh, the government decided to hold another round of military drills for reservists, uh, reserve officers specifically from January 23 to April 12. The government intends to enroll over 2,800 reservists in these drills.
The government also decided to reimburse the tuition fees of 935 Artsakh Armenian students displaced from Nagorno-Karabakh. Education Minister Jeanne Andreasian said that over 1,800 Artsakh students are currently enrolled in Armenian universities and over 1,100 are enrolled in vocational uh, schools and colleges. Uh, the government also decided to place a ban on the import of cement from third countries for six months. Uh, this will go into force on January 18 and will go up until Jan July 18 to regulate the import of cement from third countries and create equal conditions for locally produced cement. Uh, this, With this move, the government hopes to create favorable conditions for local cement producers to compete with uh, cement that's being imported from other countries in the domestic market. Well, also, the government decided to ban the export of whitefish. This is siga, as it's called here, or I guess the Russian word is siga. Uh, whitefish caviar for six months. The ban will enter into force starting January 2. The objective of the ban is to preserve the biodiversity of the ecosystem of Lake Sevan, improve the sustainable use of resources, and maintain a stable mass of whitefish and implement productive fishing, which has been the story of this <laughs> week. Of the week. Um, yeah, well, so, okay, let, let's give a little background. On December 19, 26 fishermen were arrested near Lake Sevan for um, what they're saying, violent behavior toward police officers. According to Armenia's investigative committee, masked men approached Lake Sevan's water patrol officers and officers of the Sevan National Park during their patrol of the lake and threatened and actually beat the officers. They it's, threw a lot of cocktails. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, incredible. <laughs> so on, I know you have a lot to say about this. Let me just finish the news thing. On December 18, Armenia's Ministry of Environment had reported that 13 crab fishing nets and 53 whitefish fishing nets had been confiscated. Fishing of whitefish during the spawning period is illegal, full stop. Yes, it's illegal. We know that. And Armenia just established this uh, water patrol. Mm -hmm. It's been uh, you know, two operational, <laughs> basically a minute and a half, let's say. And uh, well, yeah, it's fascinating because the ban on fishing uh, at this period is only for one month. Mm -hmm. And I've been listening to a lot of the interviews with the angry fishermen who ambushed the police officers. I do understand very well because they're saying, okay, this is our bread and butter. This, this is what we live on. And they're also going saying, can't you allow us to live? And if the fish finish, they finish, then we'll think of something else. So uh, this is a There's problem no that logic. I'm having with yeah. our uh, collective mentality is like no solidarity between generations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if the fish finishes, so you're OK uh, with being the last person to benefit from uh, this resource. Uh, and, and it's one month. It's for one month. And then the threat is like, if you don't want us, we're, we're go, we're, we're go to another country. We'll leave Armenia. But you will have to leave Armenia unless the, if you overfish. You, if you overfish, if you don't create other resources for you. So this whole thing has been, um, and it's being used by so many different forces in the country to say, you see, they're not allowing people to live. It's their bread and butter. But at what you know what no I even saw. Vision. What I saw even in the news. I, I'm sorry, I'm bringing us during the weekend review. Go for it. This, they're doing this for on purpose, mm -hmm. so that uh, th that part of Lake Sevan will be depopulated, so that they can give it to Azerbaijan. Oh, for heaven's sakes! Yeah. Okay. 
so it's become a big story, which is not okay. It's not okay for people not to understand that there should be some kind of solidarity between generations and resources are not just theirs to do what they wish for. And ecology is important and other life other than theirs is important. But also adherence to the law or acceptance of the law um, and how this has all been manipulated. So, uh, and how they, there they arrest 26 people like these uh, are people who attacked police officers right through molotov cocktails got on their boat yes Mm -hmm. well i'm almost happy we don't have a sea imagine (laughs) if this is happening on a lake what would have happened if we had (laughs) yeah yeah well coming back to you know tragic news which seems to be the theme uh, of our lives uh, yesterday armenia's investigative committee told uh, armenian public television um that you know after the september 19 attack there was a huge fuel depot explosion they had some final numbers 218 people were killed um and another 120 injured as a result of that fuel fuel depot blast in stepanager this w- took place on september 25 21 people are still missing uh, according to the committee the explosion happened in an enclosed environment where 42000 liters of fuel was stored uh and we uh, you know it was just incredible that day uh incredible in the worst possible way obviously um that this happened and the investigation is still ongoing and uh, having said all of the above, Maria, according to the International Monetary Fund, Armenia surpasses its neighbors, Azerbaijan and Georgia, with its GDP per capita rate. In 2023, the GDP per capita in Armenia was uh, $8,280. In Azerbaijan, it was $7,530. In Georgia, it was $8,160. In 2022, the numbers uh, were Armenia 6569 Azerbaijan 7,819, Georgia 6,671. Um, and let's try and keep the positive news going as we end this week's uh, podcast. Uh, the Armenian film Amerigatsi has been shortlisted in the international feature film category for the 96th Academy Awards. This is the first time an Armenian uh, film has ever been uh, shortlisted for the Oscars. And I th- we both saw Amerigatsi and, uh, I, you know, I'm not a big fan usually of Armenian films, but this was really, really great. And um, it will be exciting, even if it's... Uh, it Even if exciting. it doesn't yeah. win the Oscar, no, because I'm 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 channeling energy that it will be on the final list, um, but it's going to be uh, exciting to see what happens. And uh, part of the Elysee Gardens in Paris is going to be renamed after Charles Aznavour this year. Uh, I'm going after quite a fight to get a, <laughs> a, visa. <laughs> a visa, which has definitely been a challenge. Uh, which I hope one day you will write about what it means for a citizen of Armenia to try and travel to Europe. With any logical frame, lo- reason yeah. well, uh, let's that just might say that or your, might your not visa, be. Your first uh, declined. So the managing editor of EVN Report. <laughs> I still uh, maybe, maybe let's keep some of this for my article okay, if fine. I write it. Fine. Well, uh, I hope you get to go to the Elysee Garden in Paris, Rubina, when you go. And uh, that's the kind of week we've had here uh, in Armenia. Next week uh, will be our final uh, week in review podcast, but we will be doing a year in review podcast where Rubina and I will probably be expressing more openly our thoughts 
and opinions on what's happened and what we see might happen. Um, So thank you for listening. Have a safe and peaceful weekend, and we'll be back again next week.